0: Hello, friends. I'm your host, Chris Thrill. I'm a former Royal Marines Commando. I've adventured for better and sometimes worse across 80 countries on all seven continents. Welcome to the Bought the T shirt podcast.
1: Isaac, how are you, sir? Hello. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me on
0: absolute pleasure thanks for coming on at such a short notice what a what a small world we live
1: in yes yeah all interconnected everything just like nature and us
0: yes I'm, I'm i i'm always um always like to chat about things that i don't know so much about and you're in the the energy world um but you're also in the adventure world which is something i do know a bit about and i like to chat about that as well so what should we take first? Should we take let's take the adventure stuff, should we?
1: Yeah, if you'd like to start with uh, with a sort of a, a biography, I guess <laughs> or bits and pieces I've been you know, up to. Yeah, give uh, us a quick
0: to. sort of overview, and then we'll we'll do pick some some cherries out or
1: something. Yeah, sure. And um, my my adventure sort of I guess hobby and um, started stepping into a bit more of a career around university time. Um, I swam the English Channel in a relay. And that was my first outdoor experience where getting into cold water and swimming for long distances and long durations in the cold uh, really immersed me in nature. And I felt, oh, I just want to do more outdoor adventures. It just felt so much better than swimming in a pool or doing anything indoors like that or the gym. So after that, I kind of got out of my comfort zone and started doing a lot more um, adventures, which could be anything that allows me to learn, challenge myself, push my limits and help others so i always had that, that as my criteria and occasionally something would come up hey would you like to row across an atlantic ocean with me and i would go yes because i'm going to learn a lot definitely i've never rowed before i've never been at sea before <laughs> and this was a big opportunity so and i also raised a lot of money with uh, the team for a multiple sclerosis society fifty thousand pounds and I also climbed Kilimanjaro. I'd never hiked mountains before. Um, I just thought, heck with it. Just gonna start doing these things and just get get on with it. And I just started practicing in the UK, how to row, practicing how to hike, you know, all these things that you just don't really do if you come from like an urban environment uh, um, or, or less privileged, I guess, in, in a sense that you can't go on all these holidays all the time uh, to do all this. So I, yeah, it, it was a bit late. I was a late starter into the outdoor world. and. And we've just come back from an adventure. I just created another adventure after the Atlantic Row, uh, which was cycling from the Orkney Islands to the Isles of Scilly. Um, I thought it was a 14-day expedition. The Atlantic Row was a lot longer. The Atlantic Row was 40 days. But this this new expedition, we um we cycled across water as well. So we connected um, so it's the longest joggle that's ever been done, full cycle ever. In, in, and um, we cycled across the Penton Firth, which is the, one of the most dangerous tidal streams in the world, which is between Orkney and uh, mainland Scotland. And then we cycled from Land's End to the Isles of Scilly. And we did this as a film documentary, which was another project in itself. that I've, I've done um, a lot of work with and we've got the film coming out next month. Um, yeah, so there's a, a variety of things. And a lot of it is kind of interconnected with mental and physical health my mental health was deteriorating at university and my outdoors was my answer Um, i didn't go to mental health institutions or things like that to help with my anxiety i had a lot of panic disorder and issues what i did is i just started stepping outdoors a, a bit more I, just something i noticed when i went outdoors i felt better so i just started doing more and more and that was another reason why i got into outdoor adventures was for my physical and mental health and then since subsequently subsequently since then Uh, I did a TED talk on the connection of outdoors and mental health, TEDx talk, and um, I'm a trustee for Mind Charity in Hertfordshire. And I give a lot of my voluntary efforts to to them because uh, it's it's really important that people can get that preventative information for their mental health well in advance before it starts hitting. I didn't even know what mental health was until I started having panic attacks. I I wish I did know what that was because I might have been able to understand the onset of that. I didn't have that information. So working with the charity has really helped me to, to do that. Um, and then we this big film adventure that we've done, the cycle from Orkney to Isles of Silly, we're raising awareness of national parks and being a bit more on the forefront of climate solutions. So what we did is we organized 25 different interviews throughout the expedition. So we cycled and interviewed all these local grassroots projects, environmental conservation and um, rangers park rangers uh, big climate solutions renewable energy i know you're interested in that we went up to orkneys and we spoke about the tidal turbines up there european marine energy um, european marine energy centers hydrogen strategy that's going on up there and the wind turbine strategies that are all happening up there And we we connected all these interviews in, in this film and a lot of it is to do with preserving these green spaces, the outdoors and, and nature and environment because of mental health. And it's all interrelated back to when I started at outdoors. Physical and mental health was really important and the outdoors was my outlet. So this whole film's a little bit about about that just as an underlying tone. That was a mouthful. I hope everyone got that. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah,
0: you clearly have done this before. Um... You've done me. a ted you've done a ted talk so you're a talks really
1: you're,
0: you're, you're <laughs> an expert gosh so much to say i'm at the i'm re, um, isaac i'm at the refining end of my mental health now so i've done all the sort of you know I, I like yourself i've never had therapy or been to groups or been to the nhs no i, I went to the nhs once and they gave me this big bag of pills and I'm not suggesting folks do this. I'm, I'm just talking about my my life now. I went outside and I threw them in the first um rubbish bin and then I I went and cracked on cracked on with my life. But the when I say the refining end, and you mentioned the great outdoors, and it's what we're essentially talking, it's a connection with the universe, isn't it? This beautiful thing that is so ignored.
1: Um, oh yeah. complete yeah that's exactly exactly we are so distracted with so much technology and information and notifications we cannot see past that anymore because we've we've artificially made noise that we cannot see through unless we strip it away and i only know one way of doing that and that's getting outside and away from it or putting my phone away putting everything away that's i don't know any other way to get rid of the noise
0: yes of course, and this is why meditation is so vital to stop that constant chatter and just calm it down. I think um, I call it living in the birth certificate identity. Not not I didn't get that. I didn't come up with that term. That's my good friend, Johnson Julian, who's taught me so much. Um, but it's this notion that we're all individual and it's all about how we comb our hair and what tattoos we've got and what car we drive and the social media and the job and, the, and then. And it, all of that is just severs you off from the real connection is we're carbon molecules and we're part of something huge and much bigger. And once you, once you realize you're, you're part of something bigger, you can stop worrying about everything because you'd have to worry about everything if you're the universe, cause you've always been here and you're always going to be here. So yes, isn't it, um, it, it's an area we, like I say we've just been cut off from, haven't we?
1: I would say in the last maybe 50 60 years where we've really started to create our own hubs where we've got cars that then drive into houses drive ourselves to the houses we go inside our houses we all locked up in there the community is kind of separating out a lot of our communication is taken across screens we're doing this podcast through a screen right now uh, it's it's unbelievable how disconnected we are to our I guess, animalistic selves on our natural selves. It's uh, it, we, every single time you, you look, you look on an advert, Hey, check out this new thing that you can do to disconnect yourself further, download this app. <laughs> it's just never ending. We're, we're, we're actually capitalizing on it and making money from disconnecting ourselves even further. Yes. Unbelievable.
0: Yes. And, and uh, it's a massive form of control, isn't it? guess so <laughs> yeah i mean you buy if you buy into this stuff you're you're never going to find your spiritual self and that's i would say that should be your main focus in life because it's just brilliant when you arrive there
1: it's a bit worrying with the younger generation they're born into a very high paced digital world yeah um yeah. i i'm i'm of that generation where i think you know facebook started coming in in my teenage years and things like that started to 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 really develop and social life really changed um i i saw the change generations maybe 10 years younger than me they don't see that change they weren't part of that digital change where we we all just went digital that's that happened during my lifetime and i i can totally see how the younger generation are actually very much almost incapable of communicating properly now at times i i talk in schools across the country i talk to scouts the scouts are the select few children i interact with who really can connect with people because they've had that outdoor experience when i go to schools especially in urban areas where i try to do the talks and try to encourage getting outdoors that they're incredibly disconnected and they really struggle to communicate there's a lot of problems with mental health i mean a lot of these schools again have a bit of poverty associated with them because they're in sort of poorer towns and things like this and that, that doesn't help but at the same time the whole societal change to a digital age has really really hit home for me uh, with the younger generation i think the older generation they have that outlet they know what to do they'll they'll disconnect sometimes they, well, they don't sometimes use the phone properly or use the computer properly which is helpful actually for them because if they did they might get sucked in so much
0: <laughs> massively i mention this a lot when i go running in the morning or if i Go off down this running off down this cycle track at the weekend does that make sense running off down the cycle track but you know what i mean yeah yeah um you just see whole families just the zombie the zombie nation just the zombie
1: nation i love it
0: <laughs> you know well, well here's the thing we all try in life to be cool we try to be the you know the dude we we try to have this image we 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 want people to respect you know this this is all again, birth certificate identity, I don't, I don't do any of that stuff now. I just love the universe and part of it. And I don't care about anything um, except, you know, the things that I can have influence over. But you get these kind of guys in are middle age and they're probably getting paid a hundred thousand pounds in their director's job or, or whatever it is. And they got all the Lycra on and and their families in tow, the wife's behind them and the three children on there. And, you know, we're all trying to be this persona and then miss the one basic thing, which is say hello, just say hello to people. You know, it, it, it just that simple act in itself says so much about who you are and your understanding of, of community and all the things are important, but no, nope, you get the time, but can't even just say, all right, mate, you know, just we've all been so damaged by this, um, you know, this conditioning from birth that that people have just lost that crucial ingredient. And then of course, you've got the family behind just, just that that's the example that they're being said and being set. And it's frustrating in the morning, you know, I'm out running maybe half five, six, there's there's the odd person on the way to work. And they're just more than willing to walk straight past you like this. Um, And this is friends, not a criticism of the individual. It's not about that. It's just understanding that the, the um, you know, what, why have we got such massive mental health problems? Well, it's because of this, we're, we're, we're community, we're communal animals. And um, you can't just live in that bubble and think there'll be no repercussions,
1: hey? Yeah, yeah, I think um, yeah, There's a number of things with our mental health. And then there's the anxiety of where's the energy going to come from? We have well. the news feeds it a lot, doesn't it? So there's a crisis in climate change right now, but there's always been a crisis in climate change chain climate has always changed yes. and <laughs> um, we, we're we're just artificially changing it and uh, not liking what we're doing.
0: <laughs> let's let's before we come on to that, um I, I just don't want to gloss over your your incredible a- 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 achievements, so. When you say cycle across the water, my my the first vision comes in my head is someone looking at the bottom of ocean at their mountain bike, thinking, "How am I going to get that out?" <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm guessing you're talking about these amazing crafts behind you in the picture.
1: Yeah, yeah, they're called water bikes. Um, easy name. Um, they're they're basically a spinning bike that you find in the gym, that's connected to two Fendor floats. And then the crank arms of the spinning bike are connected to a drive belt, chain, which then is connected to a submerged propeller between the two floats. So you're pedaling and then you've got a propeller basically between your legs underwater and and it just moves forward. They're about three times slower than a regular bike to cycle because you've got, you're getting hit by the wind and you've also got the currents and the sea to contend with. And so they're quite difficult to cycle. They're a bit slower, about three times slower than a regular bike. And um, they're not very good in big waves, which isn't great if you're going to go down the most dangerous tidal straits in Europe. We really were lucky. We had the perfect weather window. We chose a neat tide to go on so that the tide was at its most minimal. And we also chose a time in a year where it's been renowned to be very quiet in terms of sea state. And we just had luck of the draw and got across that, 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 that strait with the water bikes
0: incredible and i i guess you're not going to get a puncture which would be interesting
1: <laughs> oh no well you i guess you well you might be able to I mean, we had you have to dodge whirlpools and rip tides we had a boat pilot a um ferry skipper type boat pilot he's done fishing around the area as well and he took us along the right route because there's unbelievable amounts of shipwrecks because of. Poor navigation through whirlpool eddies and getting hit by these rocks called skerries, which could puncture definitely. Um, but we were, yeah, we were incredibly lucky on the day. He, he did say to me when I phoned him up, Would you be able to do this crossing? He said, He laughed at first. He said, You must be joking. The chance I'd give you is like 20% to do this. <laughs> but we were lucky, very, very lucky on that day. He said, I can't believe it. I haven't seen a day like this in a very long time. How long did it take you? It was only three hours. And when we got to the other side, the sea stage started changing really quickly. And you could start to see it all being we were just that that was just really good timing. Um, yeah, it's quite a short crossing, but so much could happen very quickly on a bike on a a bike like that. That's so exposed. Did you have a safety boat? Yeah, he, he was guiding us. He was the navigational boat that was behind us. We'd cycle and then if we needed to, you know, come off or whatever. We'd just switch switch, switch off uh, over on, on the side of the boat. We'd just move the bike over and then switch over and stuff like this. It was good fun. It was a bit mad. Yeah. There was killer whales as well. The night before we were camping on the cliff face just before, and there was all these killer whales and we were thinking they better not be out tomorrow. <laughs> Cannot be contending with whales as well as everything else that's here. <laughs>
0: Yes, it's uh, at least you didn't have great white. Well, maybe you did have great white sharks to contend with. Apparently, they're um, apparently they're seen quite frequently off the UK
1: coastline. Um, The great white? No.
0: Yeah, apparently fishermen. Well, I say the UK, uh, certainly off Southern Ireland. They've been reported, but there's also been reports in Cornwall, believe it or
1: not. Wow. It's warming up, isn't it?
0: Well, well, this is <laughs> maybe.
1: This,
0: you know, this this could be, this could be the thing.
1: So, they usually stick to um, a certain temperature belt, don't they? Yeah, it's quite yeah. So, with all the warming that we've been having, we've had some hot summers. The last couple of summers have been quite hot, so that's been warming our waters. Maybe they they're venturing, they're exploring, they're they're adventurers of the sea.
0: <laughs> yeah. Excuse me, just muted myself while I coughed. So talking of temperature, I only found out recently that I suffer from, I say I suffer, I've got quite low blood pressure, um, but I've got a low heartbeat. I mean, my heart beats about 42, which is, wow. and in the past it's been beaten at 80 per minute, per minute beats per minute that is obviously, um, which are just, put down to being moderately fit. I'm not I'm not like hugely fit. I don't know if that's got anything to do with it, but I went for a swim in one of the warmest climes in England, which is Torbay. Bay. It's renowned for being like a being in a swimming pool in there. And after 20 minutes, I came out and all the colour had drained from my fingers. You could literally hold them up to the light and see where the blood had just sort of gone down into the stumps. So I can't remember the name for this condition. Um, Raynaud's? Yes. Yes. I think it is that one. Yeah. And I've always got cold really easily. I've got a triathlon wetsuit, a really expensive zone three, it costs about 600 quid or something. And it's the the triathlon that I did the next day at this place, Torbay, when everyone was getting in without even thinking about it, um, I, I had to read the triathlon rules and it said that you could wear a, you know, like the divers hat, you know, the, the,
1: the yeah, the, I've got the, one the, of those It's from orca. Yeah. It's a bright, it's a bright orange thing I've got. It's, bit, it's Yeah. bit so, ugly.
0: <laughs> so I wasn't allowed to wear gloves and obviously you don't want to wear booties on a triathlon cause it's going to just, your feet are going to drag, but you are allowed to, to, to put the, the hoodie on. So I, I did that and that, that, that kept me warm enough to to do the, mile. I think it was three quarters of a mile or something. Um Previous time I did it, I think last year or two years ago, I was absolutely fine. But when it comes to swimming the channel, the official to be officially recognized, you can't wear a wetsuit.
1: It was so cold, really cold to get like the first time I started training for it, jumping into a lake, just like they they suggest just going in speedos as the first person i think his name was, uh captain webb or tony tony webb or someone he did it first and then since then they've made the rule up that you have to do it like him i went into a lake and i lasted five minutes and i thought my god i'm gonna kill myself doing this there's this whole s- swim is about 12 hours long and you have to go into the lake and you or a river or a sea and train yourself to be able to sustain the cold. That's the actually key component. I swam a long, long time, probably about 10, maybe 15 years competitively. um, From a young age, 10 years old, Uh, I I was swimming in pool. My fitness, I knew it was there. My cold fitness was nowhere to be seen. And it was scary at times, like getting the cold shocks, the claw hands, where your hands get so cold that they start to close up on you. Um, I actually, one session, I could have sworn my liver was failing. And they say, that's the first thing to go in in an organ. And I had to get out really quickly, but the, the, the time of feeling okay to feeling not okay. What scared me the most when I was doing the training was it was very fast. It was almost within a minute. You could be swimming completely fine and then suddenly you can't talk, you can't speak, your hands are closed up and then you get in this pain in your stomach. <laughs> I, was, I was like, it's, it's not a, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's not a challenge to take light hearted. Um, you definitely need to expose yourself to cold frequently. Um, and in short durations and slowly build it up. I got kind of complacent trying to build up very fast. So I was doing shorter and short, and then long, very quickly. And I thought I could just, you know, try and speed it up a bit. But you, you really shouldn't. You have to take your time. Um. So yeah, that was a bit of a learning curve during <laughs> during training for it. But yeah, it's, it's it's cold, but you do get there. It was unbelievable. I was swimming in what twelve degrees water and just speedos, and I was able to do it for a long time. You do get there. It just takes a lot. It took it took me about six seven months to acclimatize. Um. I started in the winter, which was probably not the best idea. I really should have started maybe at the tail end of summer, where you've had the whole summer to heat up the waterways and the the sea and stuff, and then and then go into the winter. As the winter comes in, the water temperature really cools, and you you go with it, and then you come out into summer, and it must feel like a it must feel like you're in a jacuzzi by the time you get to the summer on the other side. <laughs> For me, I was just about right, just just about made it by that point. Yeah, it was an interesting time. The the cold was the challenge.
0: Yes, I'm. I've just ordered. Well, I'm in the process of building a sauna, so I'm going to build a homemade one. I I bought bought a really decent garden shed, and I figured if I put the bench in it, I didn't want a huge shed because I didn't want to take up too much of our our decking. We've got a shed out there already, but I figured if I got a six by four, um, do we say six by four these days?
1: Six foot by four. So yeah, I say six by four,
0: whatever that is in meters. But um, I figured if I put the bench in it diagonally, then I can lie down. I can just lie down. I've got like two inches uh, to because I didn't want. If you can't lie down in the sauna and just chill and listen to some or whatever or meditate, I did. I didn't really think there was much point building one. But I but I worked out I could put the bench in an angle, and I love love sauna. I've done the proper finish. Wow sauna where you go outside and jump it jump through the ice and everything and I'd...
1: yeah what do you think of that I, I don't really know too much about that that side of things is that is that good for you to go from hot to cold do you get ill
0: well the theory is and the reason you see that the scandinavians whipping themselves with birch sticks is that the hot um expands your arteries and then the sudden cold um restricts them and in that moment, it, it's supposed, and I personally, I don't think this is a good way of doing it, but it, it, it cracks off the um, uh, cholesterol.
1: Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah.
0: That's why you see them beating themselves with the stick. It's tried to bash the cholesterol off. Um, personally, I think just eat vegetables is a lot better way of do, <laughs> do, doing it. Um,
1: is yeah yes. anything to keep that steak diet
0: but when you when you um get so hot and they have it incredibly hot and in, um way way hot and then you'd have it in, a, in say a gymnasium in england um you almost feel invincible jumping into freezing cold water then you've, you've just got such a, a heat within your tissues and you can go in and swim around for five minutes ten minutes not um not like in Norway, I was in the Marines, we had to do the ice breaking drills and jump through the ice. <laughs> and then it's literally, you jump in, you just, almost your body re- reacts to want you to jump straight back out again. It's, it's bitterly, bitterly cold. Um, but I've got a big, uh, I've got a big uh, drum in the garden. One of these blue, um, big blue, I don't know what it, it's, it's something that collects
1: water or something like that.
0: Yeah, it's it's about the size of a water, butt. I don't know. It was in the garden, I think, when we moved in. And I figure if I could kind of put a pull up bar above, I can hold on to it and, and lower myself into this barrel. Or some of my friends are using um, wheelie bins. They get another wheelie bin and they fill that with water. So it, yeah, undoubtedly, isn't it? We've since Wim Hof appeared on the scene, more and more people are realizing that in our in our hunter gatherer dna it's really important to get cold now and again and it has massive massive health, health benefits so
1: yeah yeah it's uh, the science is coming through as well there's a lot with more and more um people getting involved there's more and more research studies so there's more and more science backing it now and it's kind of been self-perpetuating since yeah wim hof is uh unbelievable um what a guy to have started a, a, a big movement like that.
0: Yes. And what was the furthest you swam on your um, relay of the channel? Yeah,
1: the furthest. I think I did three hours. So there was actually a couple of people in the boat that just wouldn't go back in. Uh, they were just too cold. They didn't want to do it anymore. And I was like well, someone's got to and we got to continue or else we're not going to. This is all wasted. and. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do a three hour stint. <laughs> oh God, that was hard, but I have unfinished business. I do want to do it again, completely solo all the way through. I, 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 I don't know. I felt like on that three hours, I thought, do you know what? I probably could have done this myself now. I got to the end of the three hours and I thought I could have done this solo. I did, I, I got into the swing of it, the movement, my, my pace kept me warm. I didn't feel cold. I, I, I felt right for it. So yeah, there's unfinished business.
0: Yes. I wish you the best of luck. The longest I swam was for about six in the morning until about five in the evening.
1: That's a long time.
0: Yeah. Uh, I didn't do it in open water. I did it what in a, in a Lido pool. So cold salt water for, for half of it. And I did the second half in, in a swimming pool. Um, I'll be honest, swimming, I swam nine miles. Wasn't difficult. It just really wasn't. I'd be a liar if I said it was. I didn't get out of the pool going, ah, but I'd imagine swimming the ch- swimming the channel. You would.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of waves as well. The the waves get quite big, um, sort of just at the beginning, and then you've got kind of it's not so bad for a bit, and then it picks up again, and then there's conflicting waves in the middle, because there's there's two different currents, and then it switches. The current switches uh, after the middle part, and then you you got waves coming from a different angle. And the the waves to me was the hard like was the, actually it was hard. But it kept me very warm because you're kind of fighting them a little bit, so it mm. keeps you fit. And the other thing as well, you've got so many jellyfish, you you will get stung. I I got stung about six times by these little jellyfish things. Um, some of them were quite big at times, but I never. I never actually got to see any of the big ones. Um, other others did. The smaller ones were were there. Uh, they they quite help with uh, with the cold as well, keeping you numb.
0: <laughs> what's the What's the hardest thing then? Battling the elements or having to wear speedos?
1: <laughs> yeah, having to wear speedos that the uh, that the boat pilot um, will accept. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And passing it, his it, test. <laughs>
0: yeah, I've been re, w- re- watching some reruns of uh, Jackass cuz I've been listening to Steve O's podcast um a bit recently and uh, he they would put the jellyfish in in the speed <laughs> in the speedos. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> uh, he did actually uh, Steve O got a, this big poisonous jellyfish and it just went <laughs> put his face in it. Sure, the uh, animal rights people would have uh, have something definitely, to say.
1: They definitely would if they
0: if they were there. And you are, or I'm fortunate to have. I think you're the fourth Atlantic rower that I've had on the show. So <laughs> yeah. you, can, you can tell that I've obviously got a passion for this, and uh, one day, um, that's not a pie in the sky. One day, it's just with something. A challenge of that magnitude that really needs planning for both logistics uh, and and safety, you you've you've got to take it seriously. And I just don't have the the headspace at the minute or the time to 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 really go into it definitively. But but maybe that's just me procrastinating. How how <laughs> did it come about, and how how did you get across?
1: Oh yeah, so it actually came about. the glory of social media and our digital age that allows us access to unlimited information all over the world and a friend of mine was scrolling through facebook and saw it uh there's a race talisco atlantic challenge race he was just scrolling immediately he would just pointed at it it was like i have to do this and he was just like i'm keen i'm gonna go for it i'm gonna do this how do i do this he didn't even ask so he just but first thing he's just i have to do this i want to do it with someone else so then he started asking people he asked me do you want to do this and i watched a video of people rowing uh on across the atlantic this like a trailer sort of promotional video of the race and i thought to myself jesus this is big for me because my friend was a rower he had done rowing as his main sport so this was very much up his streak for me i'd never really been at sea before not like on sailing boats or anything like that i've never been in the ocean like that before at all i've been maybe on a what have i done like i think a fishing boat maybe or just gone out a little bit i've never really done something of that of that scale let alone knowing that's 40 to 50 days out to sea and i'd never rode before that was a sport i never i never got to do uh, when i was younger so yeah i i kind of looked here and i thought do you know what? This would be such a jump out of the comfort zone. This would be such a massive leap from what I was doing before, which was just, I, I, I just was studying at the time. And I had swam the English Channel at this point. And I had the kind of the bug to do something big outdoors again. And I thought, yeah, let's go for it. Didn't actually know truly why I wanted to do it at that point. Just something inside was saying, go for it. And I think it was after reflection of retracing back all my decisions throughout the campaign from the beginning, I started to realize that it was an exploratory mission mission for for myself. Like how, how far can I go? How, how can it's like a push myself mission, right? On on a physical limit. I've never really truly pushed myself before. The English channel was very good in terms of cold, but physically it didn't feel that hard as a swimmer who swam for 10 years. I, I I was capable of doing the distance, but with an ocean row of 3,000 nautical miles and, uh, you, you know, it being a race and learning a new, I just thought, wow, this is some, this is going to push me hard. Let's see, uh, let's go for it. Um, so yeah, that's how it all came about really, um, just being asked. And then we had to start a brand because everyone has to start a brand and a mission statement because Unless you're made of money, and, or you've got loads of money in the in the locker, it costs about a hundred thousand to hundred twenty thousand pounds to do to do this event. um So yeah, I, I I certainly for one didn't have that money. I just came out of uni. I, I had forty thousand pounds worth of debt to pay. <laughs> and I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to give this a go. Um, we need to make a brand because we need to get sponsors who are interested in the cause and mission and interested in our projects and we need to be able to sell them exposure or sell, uh, sell them something that's kind of useful for their company. Maybe we can do an experiment, a team building experiment that then we can use in their company and see if that works. Um, so, yeah, it was it was quite hard to do. We started off with just two of us. Then we uh, got there was two girls who were involved and worked out. The team dynamics wasn't working out for us, so we split up the team again. Then we brought up another team member, um, called Jackie joined, and then there were three of us. And then we were going to do it as a three. Then we found out that we had only six months, and we didn't have enough money still. So we we needed basically we ran out of ideas. We needed new, fresh thinking. So we brought in another team member in, uh, Cameron, and he joined, and then we were a team of four. And we made to as a four that that the challenge actually happened just through the finances.
0: Tell me because I, I'm obviously it all hinges on raising the money or you are not going anywhere
1: unless you have the money already or you've got a team member's got the money he's happy to put it in it's incredibly difficult to do because you need a boat and the boat costs a lot of money how are you going to train for this thing where you don't have the boat if you don't have the equipment you you can't even comprehend training training on an erg or in a rowing boat is nothing compared to training in an uh, ocean rowing boat. it's completely different
0: yeah and so to so talk us through it then what did you do to get money what what was your first sort of reasonable win for when you went wow there's 10 grand there or what whatever it is
1: yeah i mean we we just um had the backing of Talisco, which has a big marketing machine behind it and we basically rode off the back of that it would be even more difficult to do it outside of the, the atlantic row race those guys are unbelievably good at minimizing the risk to investors or sponsors so the first thing people are going to say is like you're going to kill yourself yeah why on earth am i going to sponsor this this is going to be a disaster pr disaster we gave money to a team that went into the atlantic and died like they, <laughs> that's a that's terrible but this race has been going on for many years they've got safety officers they've also got an incredible team that works with the insurance support authorities then you've got the helicopter rescue everything all set up Um, so they're very good at minimizing the risk and you take information from that to to go to the sponsors and say look we've got all of this risk mis- minimized the next best thing is that Taliska is really good at well atlantic campaigns are very good at the promotion and the hype of the events they can bring in big broadcasters from all over the world to to watch watch this of this race and see who wins and things like that it's uh it's got a lot of coverage billions of people watch it and through that you go to sponsors logo on boat boat on tv boat on show they would usually pay what hundreds of thousand pounds to be on bbc or something like this so by paying you you know five grand or something for their logo on the boat they're getting their logo exposed on bbc which they would probably pay a lot more money for so that that's sort of the way to do it usually it's exposure and then you add you do add-ons such as we'll live stream the whole of that you can get these satellites now where you can have your entire ocean row on tv <laughs> so i mean how boring is that but some uh, companies, um, they had TVs inside their offices with uh, the live stream of the Atlantic teams they were sponsoring. So every day when you think, oh, this email sucks, you look there, and it's like, wow, they're in a the storm. That will suck more. <laughs> it kind of brings perspective, right? Um, speaking gigs and things like that, all these nice tie-on and add-ons to try and get the money in. And um, That 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 all helps. But uh, at the end of the day, they buy into the people. It's usually the people that they are buying into they they're interested in your story your growth and what you learn and then how can you translate that to to them so yeah it's and it's it's quite a good journey
0: just give us like a physical idea of i mean what what you send a letter to a company explain your mission and hope they give you 20 grand
1: well yeah you need to sometimes they're cold calling and just making yourself known so do some Phone calls, say what you're doing, where you're up to, why why they would be interested. So you, you say your offerings and things like that. Then you can talk. It's like sales, like doing business and sales, really same thing. Um, but you're just selling a, a vision. It's yeah. you know a st- You know what's, you know the startup model is all about selling a, a vision to investors. That's exactly the same as raising money for uh, sort of these sort of campaigns and things. Se- you haven't done it yet this is what you're going to do, would you invest in this? And it's all about minimizing the risk and working out the return of investment. And it's exactly the same, it's like you would with a startup. Because
0: companies pay 2,000 pounds an hour for a speaker, which is quite incredible. So if you promised a hundred companies, a hundred companies that you'll go and do a talk afterwards to their
1: staff. You've got 200,000 pounds
0: that's two hundred thousand.
1: that you could hours. yeah you could do that yeah
0: and uh, if there's three of you that's you that's you could split the talk that's 33.3 talks each um and uh technically you could do it in 33 days so see i'm thinking <laughs>
1: yeah yes the, the money the money side of thing is always the one of the major barriers why people don't do it and another thing that i was a bit with this type of sport and, and in this adventure world is it's very exclusive because of the money barrier you actually find that half the teams raise the money through very difficult means of you know sales pitches cold calling startups and then the other half of the team come from very wealthy backgrounds and have incredible connections and network they're all wealthy so you, you it's a yeah it's 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 very exclusive to to, to do these sort of events but it's not unobtainable, which is, you know, I came from nothing. Zero had 40,000 pounds university debt and still managed to get there. So you can yeah, anyone do it, that it.
0: anyone that says it's impossible has obviously never robbed a bank before. have they?
1: <laughs> not yet. <coughs> oh, you weren't supposed to tell them that. <laughs> oh,
0: sorry. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I'm going to blank your face out for the, when the podcast airs. So they, 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 <laughs> yeah. Britain's most wanted won't won't come looking for you
1: <laughs> yeah so that oh, was hard. Just,
0: just incredible I'm so excited just thinking about it it's and, a lot
1: of it takes over your life by the way and and here's Everyone. the thing
0: right Isaac here's the thing you do all the planning the training the seamanship the rescue you know sea rescue the 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 um food planning the hours that you know who's going to row what the, the battling these waves in, in achieving the ultimate in, in adventure uh, dreams right i'm going to tell you the question you get asked the most how did you go to the toilet yeah am i right
1: yeah you do all <laughs> of that and that's the most that's the most asked question that and where do you sleep Yes. Those two, those two are, are unbelievably, yeah. Well, I, I, if people have watched your show before, they've heard the answer. It's usually bucket and chuck it. Yes. Um, or no bucket at all, depending on how how much you care. Some people really just didn't care on some rows. Mm-hmm. Like I've heard they literally would just go off the back of the boat. Yeah. And, and no bucket, just done. Yeah, as long as just
0: you know you've got your safety harness on, I guess it it it, it doesn't matter. I've had uh, Mick Dawson on the show. He's a former Royal Marine as well, and oh my god, he's done some incredible stuff. He's like rode the Pacific.
1: Oh, he, the Pacific's quite a long. Did he do the full one or to the Hawaii? Uh oh gosh, he he wrote. Um, there's one. There's one to New Zealand. He rode into San Francisco from. I, I guess was
0: it from Japan? Can you go that way? I'm not
1: sure. Maybe you can. I don't know that one. Sorry, I, I Mick, only know the other way. Down, Mick, if, you wa-
0: if Mick is Mick, if you're watching, brother, I'm. I am apologize if I'm getting all, <laughs> all this wrong. I'm. I'm so many <laughs> podcasts. So little. There's, there's millions out. of
1: ocean roads. <laughs> yeah. There's ocean roads everywhere. Yeah. I, there's no specific road either. So it's you know you just take your route and you can go over any ocean really.
0: But uh, yeah, I know the question about going to the toilet, because when I ran the length of the country, that's just the most often asked question. Where'd you go to the toilet? I said, well, where, where, where do you think? You know, if I'm running past the petrol station, then I'm going to nip in there, aren't I? If I'm, if I'm in the nature, it's a- uh, you
1: know, it's a wild uh, one.
0: <laughs> alternative, uh, alternative means. And uh, yes, brilliant. And did you, did you meet much weather out there?
1: particular row it was actually quite a a nice one to be honest in sense that we didn't get too big storms so we had a bit of stormy weather at the beginning some big waves our fastest our fastest speeds were all at the beginning as we were coming out from the canary islands slightly going southwest uh we were getting kind of a lot of speed then two weeks in wind just died and we had. It actually became a rowing slog for about six, seven weeks um, with with some back winds at times. Uh, people say our row was the row because it had the least wind to push you across out of all the other rows that have happened. Um, so it was all about like getting your oars in. The fastest teams were the ones that have three people rowing at all times and took the most direct trajectory route, because the ones that were going down south, um, we're trying to get these trade winds and get boosted with the winds, which is what most boats do most years They it's sort a of race to the south and getting yeah. a trade wind. But this particular year, those who didn't do that, it paid off really well.
0: Yeah, was there, was there a team of women, young women? Uh, I just watched a doc I've what a while. I try and watch lots of documentaries on this sort of thing, and I just remember exactly what you just said, where one of the skippers made a command decision, went no, we're not going to go with a trade wind or the you know current. We'll let let's just cut up, and they and they just got leaps ahead of everybody else.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible how the race actually is dictated on sailing knowledge, not rowers' ability. That's something that I learned whilst doing the row was if I could go back and do it again, I would go on tons of sailing holidays, tons of sailing courses, and just focus my time on sailing because the winds is what gets you across at speed, not the, not your rowing prowess.
0: Question there then Isaac. So is this taken into consideration when designing the, the, the stern of the boat?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. It's all all of the uh, boats have some form of wind catchment right right Uh, the faster boats in these races are the ones that are lighter and have flatter bottoms because they can surf the waves with the wind to go faster and the lighter they are the quicker they can get you know propelled. so those boats are you know some of them absolutely fly now they've got carbon fiber boats now people take risks the thing with a carbon boat why it's good in the atlantic is that you're not really going to get you're not going to hit anything so you're not going to really get cracks or anything like that because it's just open sea the whole way so having a light bows, you is, you could uh, hit a
0: container though couldn't
1: you potentially you could hit a container so, well some of them desperate for the wind they will uh, they'll do whatever it takes not they're not worried about that sort of stuff they're not thinking about that some of them don't even when they capsize they'll just carry on like nothing happened mm. just some of them some of them will go take the speed of a capsize so they'll row so fast that they actually will go so unstable in the the wave that they will capsize whilst others would put some a thing called a drogue out oh, and yeah. slow themselves down to keep them more stable so that they don't capsize but that slows them down some of these guys or girls they just want to go so fast that they will take a capsize to keep the speed going so you've got you've got some incredibly um competitive people in this race that almost will risk their lives to win it's it's yeah it's yes. quite it's quite, it's, it's quite incredible how far people go for a J- james a little medal
0: <laughs> james Crack- Cracknell comes to mind he's a blooming slave driver isn't he
1: yeah yeah i i personally on my ocean row i took it as a there was a nice bit of competitiveness in our road but we, we wanted the journey to be enjoy enjoyable as possible because we knew that we weren't doing this a lot and we put a lot of money into just be here and we just wanted to make make it the most of it and we thought that if we were just going to beat ourselves down to race we're not going to have any experience it's going to be sad upsetting we're going to be we're going to regret it
0: got you and i'm guessing you did you did you head for the
1: caribbean yeah we went to um Antigua the race was um Lagomera and the Canaries across to Antigua so kind of behind you i can see yeah my mag- magnifying lens <laughs> i've got
0: one here and one, one one here it um upsets all the um flat earth <laughs> um, i don't want to say people sounds a bit rude but the flat earth fans out there don't like my map but i've lived worked and traveled in 85 countries across all seven continents so it's kind of hard for me to say that the earth's flat especially when two of my friends have have, um one of them circumnavigated all the way around um and one of them has technically kind of done it if you if you take um skiing across antarctica as a as you know crossing uh or, or whatever that word is around the, uh, around the Southern tip of the globe. Um, So yes, I do. I I like it. Yeah. I drove to India and back once I drove an old school bus with 17, 17 of us were doing volunteer work and uh, we drove to India and back to write articles on people
1: living communities, living in poverty. Wow. And, uh, that sounds like a really purposeful journey to sort of work oh, out what's going on there.
0: Yeah, it was all off the back of when I suffered from mental health quite, or I, I should say, well, yeah, I did suffer. I experienced mental health a long time ago, and uh, it was uh, all all part of the journey for me was doing this. And I taught taught kids in Africa as well, which was just just so fantastic. But when you physically see the the landscape changing as as you approach the equator or you cross this this these time zones. You don't uh, it's so incremental that you don't physically go, oh, forest desert. It's not like that. It's forest, then it's a a few less trees, then it's like Mediterranean, you know, climate and surroundings, and then it's um oh bit of rockiness. Oh There's some sand. Oh, there's a bit more rocks and sand. And then the next day, it's just you're in the most beautiful desert. Um, And um, yes, so maps aren't they great?
1: I think they're one of the best inventions ever made. Yes. And we all need one in our lives,
0: so we know where we're going, don't we? We have to have a rough um, if you want to achieve stuff, you need to have a rough road map of how to get there.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for the the adventure of that. is born with no map <laughs> i'm waiting for that 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 one i just go off and do stuff but i don't know where i'm going <laughs> yes <laughs> i'm waiting well, for that i'm sure that's 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 something some, someone's gonna we've do we've all that got
0: too. gps on our phone now though haven't we so i don't know
1: if that's ah you're not allowed if you're if you're going down that route yeah you've got to completely just everything's gone and you just go with it
0: yes and of course you can easily get lost with a map especially if you don't know how to use a compass um,
1: oh yeah uh the uh, staycation is uh, one hundred and one. <laughs> the date. Snowda- <It's>... Snowdonia is
0: <laughs> yes, yes. And and um, you mentioned climbing Kilimanjaro.
1: Yeah, this was quite a good uh, first first big mountain. I I love Scotland. Um, so that
0: the Munros. Yeah, I love Scotland. So Kilimanjaro is on my list. That's a joke, folks. Bye bye. <laughs> No, I, I haven't, uh, the, the most sort of peaks I've climbed would be, uh, Norway, I think like Gouda peaking and stuff, not, not massively high. I've never, I had, I've been up the slopes of Ben Nevis. I've never been to the top. Um, yeah, I'm a bit sort of unmountainy in that respect. And yeah, I love, I love be
1: being up, in it. You yeah, love I'll, being in it. Yeah,
0: Yeah, I'd be out for climbing everything. Obviously, with being of that generation, Everest is always uh, on the back burner
1: of my mind. I was quite intrigued with altitude while I did the Kilimanjaro thing. I wanted to see what is this altitude thing all about? Did it affect you? Yeah, I won't be doing Everest.
0: Oh, ah, OK.
1: Yeah, it's it was really, really bad. Um, it was it was actually it put me off. High mountaineering. How high is it? I think it's about five eight. Hey, he's up 5800 five thousand eight hundred five thousand eight hundred meters? Yeah, yeah.
0: Let me just.
1: The altitude usually hits people around three thousand onwards, and that that certainly happened to me, and I I was able to get right to the top. I was taking they gave me this thing called diamox, that was to help you with altitude. um, and it did help me, but. Yeah, it was just very dangerous. And my friend actually had to get um, evacuated uh, off the mountain because his altitude was so bad. In the middle of the night, he just stripped himself off. It was minus three and he was bleeding from his nose like crazy and shaking. And his eyes went all yellow. Yeah, he basically was on his way out, really about to die. And he, it was enough. That was enough for me to be like, that's pretty bad, and I was starting to get nosebleeds um on the last day on the way up, and I was like, oh okay, I'm going into that same saga that he was in. Well, I managed to get to the top i don't remember it very well, but I got up there um i i don't, I really honestly don't remember much, and then came back down really quickly and felt relieved when I got to about two thousand meters down and i it just I just thought, okay, I've experienced what it's like to go high. Mm. It, it's quite, it can be quite. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm just looking at the uh, search engine here. So I experienced something a bit funny in La Paz, So capital of Bolivia.
1: Oh, that's got some high stuff up there, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, that was 3,640 meters. And what I experienced was I was walking down the street, I was back, backpacking and suddenly the street started to go.
1: Oh yeah.
0: it just rate like, and it, it threw me for a few seconds, thinking, I Am I losing my feeling, eyesight?" That feeling, like when you're drunk and you think you're going to fall over, and well, you probably, <laughs> you know, you just lose, you just completely lose it. Bang! It was that kind of feeling, and then of course it
1: it, it hit me. That was the oxygen, like not getting enough oxygen. Yeah. That 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 was it. Yeah, it started, didn't it?
0: But we did climb a peak down there. That was it. Wasn't Aconcagua, which is about six thousand, but we 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 went up about five thousand, and the person backpack backpacking couldn't go on, so I had to carry my backpack and theirs. And
1: well, did they go back? Just but they, no, they were down? Or they were, were just
0: they... sort of breathless, and and we we were okay. Once I took their pack, they they you know they could carry on, but they just had to keep sitting down. And um, yeah
1: catch it catch their breath a bit and but i
0: them. didn't notice it at all then it was to me it was just like being normal i wasn't even like puffing or anything or not that i remember um but i i'd be fascinated to see how i'd fare at real yeah real i
1: mean i mean edris what's that eight thousand? yeah There's there's so much science in this altitude as well. So the porters, the people who generally go up with people going up these mountains, one journey in twenty they get altitude sickness. So you're never you're never immune. It can hit you at any time, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that that's kind of one of the freaky things about it. It's like luck of the day. You might absolutely have a great trip all the way up to Everest or something, and you have no issues, or You've invested all that time, money, effort, and you can't go up because altitude. And I I just like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not into that. I, d- I don't want to get so far and then feel like oh, altitude sickness. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. I go. reckon if
0: I was summiting Everest and it suddenly altitude sickness came over me, I'd, I'd sit down because then I wouldn't be so high.
1: Would I? <laughs> yeah knock, knock down a meter or so <laughs> yeah I'll be I'll
0: be in recovery recovery then and then good to go. <laughs> so fascinating let let's get on to the climate then. I won't won't talk too much about it, but I mean it's causing a lot of controversy. A lot of people would say that climate changes naturally and obviously we know it it does over the over the centuries over well over millennia. And then, of course, you've got agendas like Agenda 21, now Agenda 30, which people would argue are taking advantage of such things to ever enclose us in the, uh, the home bubble and detach us from um, our communities. And uh, when you combine this with this smart grid, that knows where you are 24 seven, even if you don't want people to know and digital currency, which again, uh, makes you a slave to this, this, this system. And, and, uh, yeah, it's, um could, it could be that the lights are going to be turned out for lots, for lots of us in the future. But how how did you get into it?
1: Yeah, so I I studied geology at university. So I, I'm a geologist. Uh, I did a master's degree in geoscience at Royal Holloway, and then from there I went and worked in the energy industry to do with resources. So originally I was going into the energy industry, uh, I guess t- to to look at oil and gas. Um, when I was at university, that was the uh, the ambition, uh, and that was because I was of the mindset of yes, I understand that you know oil and gas is terrible, and we do need to move away from it. But what's the alternative at the at the time when we still need to keep the lights going, or else the economy will stop? So one of the things that actually allows us to have all this digital technology, these digital currencies, this electricity, these this unlimited food supply is energy. Energy powers everything. Our this entire society, this world that we're living in, is powered by energy right now. And it's powered by oil and gas at the moment. Most of it. Most of it now moving to gas. But I, yeah, I, I studied, um, geology and I learned about different natural processes. I learned about carbon capture, storage, where you can get resources, mineral resources, where you can get oil and gas from. And I, I went into the oil and gas industry for a bit, um, very short before, uh, things started really rapidly changing and the media came down on the industry saying, we need to get clean fuel. We need clean energy, clean fuel, which is going to be hydrogen, hopefully, um, But even that, I'm not I'm not too uh, agreeing with myself. But coming from a geological perspective and what I learned is that climate change has always been happening. We're now changing it a little bit as well. So the climate is changing itself. And then we're adding to the change. We are making such an impact now on our environment that we're actually able to shift the climate ourselves, which is now, you know, we've gone past the point of denying this. This is very evident everywhere. The science is not lying about it anymore. Um, before it was like basic science, early projects, little bit of research. Now it's extensive research, extensive science, extensive proof that we are making an impact. Mm. And it's for everyone to see. I mean, you're driving down uh, around industrial clusters and you're seeing all this gas going into the air. And you, you're seeing all of these fields filled with cows that are all farting methane and you put the two and two together, you're seeing so much emissions going up and we're not taking any of the emissions back that we're making. The amount of cows that we have is all because we're trying to feed a massive population. So all of that methane is from us, a a lot of it, because we're supplying more methane from cows because we want more food. The same with, this is with so many different food products, the same with so much industrial processing, We want so much consumeristics, bits and pieces, plastic, that, petrochemicals. All of that is more emissions and gases. And that's just emissions. There's a lot more to this climate change debate than just that. Um, But there's been a lot of focus on the emissions because it's one of the easiest things that the energy industry could could fix um, by taking the carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and storing it underground. That's That's quite an achievable thing to do. Um, very quickly so there's been a lot of focus on that but yeah the climate has always been changing and um, we're just now speeding up our own changes and i guess we're not liking what the results are happening <laughs> we want all this tech and all this in consumeristic stuff mm. but did we want the consequences of it well at the time we didn't know what the consequences were because it was all novel now we're finding out the consequences and now we're realizing oh there's a problem we need to reverse this um, oh, we need to change what, how we make make this. So there's a lot of businesses out there now that are just solely focused on how can we replace like for like something that's doing bad for the environment? How can we replace it for something good in the environment? Um, there's a lot of that going on. And in the energy industry especially, trying to do wind turbines and make massive wind farms using wind resource potential. That This is a big thing in Europe because there's a lot of wind re- re- potential. Um, but one of the main... Criteria of that is that you need to have a lot of resource materials to build these wind farms and then these wind farms need to be able to uh, make back the power that was needed to make them and, yeah. and, and more to make it a, a renewable uh, system. And then you need to be able to recycle them, which you can't right now. Well, the blades don't get recycled at the moment. They just get shipped um, off to, well, in, in our, in our country they get shipped off to other countries uh and and put into the landfill but yeah there's a lot that in the energy space it's it it's a it's a big problem that everyone's eyes are on but collectively there's a bigger bigger picture issue where a lot of people are putting the finger on the energy industry because it was the start of i guess the industrial revolution and all this stuff so Where did the actual mess on the climate really happen? It probably happened when we tried to take more and more from the planet, and that was around the industrial revolution. That's to do with, you know, a bit like the coal industry and stuff like this, mass production. So uh, yeah, trying to work backwards, isn't it? Yeah,
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Right, this is the um, planet Earth according to Chris. This is a challenge that's been set to us, right? So go back to Garden of Eden, whatever your, your chosen metaphor or whatever is, when, when Mother Nature or Universal God or Spirit or whatever we're, we're, we're going to call it, gave man intelligence, a, a different form of intelligence than, than say your beasts, your bloody squirrels and your bears, and all the riff-raff, right? Made us think we're a bit special. And off the back of that, the subsequent choices we made, we we kind of started opting for the easy option. <laughs> right. Oh, we can build a fire. Great. It makes us warm. Oh, look, Stig's invented a wheel. That means we can have a wheelbarrow. We don't have to carry our logs in from the forest, any, into our cave anymore. And, the, and then, and then as we go down, look, oh, look, um, Was it Robbie Louis Stevenson invented the car? Am I Rob Yeah, yeah. we don't have to walk anymore. (laughs) Yeah, look, Robbie's invented the banger. It's going to bloody like who needs walk, who needs walking? Right. And of course, now we've just seen the worst end of it where technology is destroying and enslaving mankind, period. Mental health through the roof, suicide, through the roof. Everybody disconnected from the beautiful source that should be our priority in life. And God's up there, right? And he's laughing. Well, he's not laughing, he's probably a bit concerned, but he's he's set this game out for us. And he's wondering how long will it be before these dumb humans realise they've got to go back? they've got to get back to a point where they don't take anything from the earth that isn't naturally renewable so yes by all means chop a tree down and burn it because as long as you don't do it disproportionately that tree will grow back um no you can't have an axe because that requires taking iron ore from the landscape and that iron ore it's difficult to put an axe back in a rock isn't it that's tough. yeah you you, 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 you fucked that one
1: up. Mass production of all these things yes. is, is literally been our downfall.
0: And here's the thing. I personally believe what a beautiful planet it will be when we realize this. And we use our intellect to build houses in the nature that aren't, you know, you're not going to be like shivering through a winter perhaps. And, and we look at our, um, methods of feeding ourselves obviously that all the factory farming would be gone because that all relies on, on this, you know, taking stuff from the earth and then creating massive pollution, um, massive emissions and all the stuff that Isaac's um, mentioned, but that's it. And I can't believe it's taken little old me to fix the planet. Look at that. (laughs) Why, Why is no one else saying this? It's just so, blindingly obvious that people
1: don't want to say goodbye to their things. I think
0: they would though. I mean, I chatted with my wonderful friend, big podcaster, James English yesterday. And we both would give up social media. Well, I, I'm personally only on it. And this is probably a terrible excuse, but I'm only on it for my business. You, 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 I challenge you to find a Personal post of me showing people my, my lunch, or <laughs> you know, and if there is, sorry guys, but it's probably like I've done it because like I'm eating my lunch and there's a picture of my book in the background, or it's yeah, advertisement. It's, you know, we, 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 when you're trying to make it in the media world, you have to hedge your bets. So,
1: so yes, so I could give up that. Um, if push comes to shove and you're not getting food on the table and your electricity starts running out because we 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 haven't found a solution people will go backwards they yeah. will work out like we're able to we're smart we're able to farm again, or farm in a different way eat in a different way live without electricity it is possible we have done it before and um, it, it might be a bit chaotic and there'll probably be a lot of austerity and issues but i think it's possible to do right now we're just trying to find solutions to swap out everything and make it make it renewable, renewable energy right now, for instance, isn't renewable, because it all comes from resources that are taken from the planet.
0: Isaac, let me put this little chestnut to you then. But but how can any of it be for our for the future good? If while you've got these wonderful scientists trying to fix this issue, you've got these greedy hawks that are just I call them the psychopaths that are just born with no love, not for themselves, certainly not for humanity and definitely not for the planet. And they're, you know, they've literally indoctrinated every single politician to keep spouting this economic growth nonsense. It's about growing the, and it's just such a trap. Well, it's such a big lie. Yeah. Um. And, and of course you've got capitalism and no, I'm not saying, Communism's better folks, but I'm not saying that what I'm saying is capitalism obviously doesn't work, does it? The notion that your sole value in life is related to how much money you've got in in your bank account is so ridiculously ludicrous, but it's, it's, it's corrupted a planet, a whole planet because everyone's working for more consume, 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 work longer hours, ditch your, your happiness, consume. The planets are out there. They want more. So they're just destroying the rainforest, destroying this destroying. So as much as like the good guys are doing good guy stuff and building, you know, wind farms and then looking at, well, how can we make the wind farm more sustainable because it's taken from there? If you've got these, um, you know, these cowardly individuals that, 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 um,
1: yeah. No, yeah i see where you're coming from i think people are seeing through it now people are looking past the news there i mean i'm talking to a lot of people younger than me and they've done, they're not starting not to believe what these headlines are saying anymore people are seeing right through it all mm-hmm. and it's getting to a stage where it's actually maybe there's a bit of a bottom-up revolution happening I, I i believe so anyway that that's starting to happen people are not listening to people above you can see in the in politics it's getting uh, the disconnect is getting more and more people aren't listening to the politicians anymore because they're just seeing right through it all Mm. and you you ask most people who did you vote for and they're like well i don't want to vote with any of them that's usually the answer (laughs) a lot of the time now um so yeah i i i I laugh it's serious what what we're talking about right now and i think we we will get to a point where that these the greedy at the top are going to realize that they haven't got the control they wanted. It's not
0: just... it's not a difficult decision though, is it?
1: I mean no, no, it's not. I
0: mean, you know, oh who should I vote for this year? Oh, let me think. Oh, we've got a uh, Tony Blair, um war criminal. Oh, we won't be we will let us not go for that. Who else we've got oh you know David Cat. Oh yeah another war criminal uh Barack Obama Oh, massive war criminal. Uh, The whole of the Bush regime. Huge, not just war criminals, but massive drug importers. Hillary Clinton. Oh, yeah. I like her, like, you know, uh, man suits or whatever they call. Oh, no, no. Sorry. Massive war criminal. That's not a tough decision, guys, not to do this voting thing.
1: (laughs) It's It's getting nuts. Yeah, it Um, really is. But it's been really interesting uh discussing the the bigger picture with, with you chris on on this yes. it really is this this is the type of conversation that people need to start having more and more and i find that when you go outdoors it's a simple act it allows you to start thinking about things outside of of, of what's being drummed into you you can kind of see outside the sphere that you're you know but we're talking about i guess you don't really get that inside so anyone listening get outdoors and do a bit more of that <laughs> if you want to find out what else is going on
0: yes and i'll just finish off on one thing isaac i say to people when i'm doing my life when i've got my life coaching house on is if you want to be a legend which you are but i kind of gather a lot of people haven't realized that you want to have the best life possible if you want to wake up in paradise every single day and have purpose and love and fulfillment in your life you've got to do three is that
1: yeah,
0: x-marine I've got to what it's those ones isn't it that yeah <laughs> three things folks and I want you to start doing it today if you love yourself and certainly if you love the children number one turn off mainstream media number two, turn off mainstream media and number three oh yeah turn off mainstream media and you'll be doing your bit for a much brighter world thank you <laughs> isaac it's been wonderful mate absolutely great chatting to you
1: yeah pleasure meeting you as well i think um it'd be really great to Hear about your Atlantic Road journey, or, yes. or ocean ocean row. It sounds like even it might well, not you, be Atlantic. You can see what I'm doing here. I started
0: a podcast, and I just keep inviting Atlantic rowers. So I'm 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 building my advisory crew. <laughs> I'll be like, Who was your best biggest donator again? <laughs> yes, but um come back on again. Tell us about your next. um Um, is there anything you want to? Mention before we go,
1: did you want yeah. to mention the park the parks thing? Yeah, and we've got a film. So, uh, I, our, our adventure was called Pedal for Parks. Uh, the film is called 14 Days South Oversee and Land. And we're shedding a light on climate solutions because we're just sick of the negativity in the press about the climate crisis. We wanted to shine a light on all the small projects that people are doing to uh, to actually make an impact and actually try and spread a bit of hope that you know this world isn't as doom and gloom as uh. The newspapers say it is. And uh, yeah, we just created a bit of an interesting adventure cycling across sea and land um to connect all these projects up together. The film is out next year, uh, sorry, next month, um online and it's with pause TV. If you go on to wwwpedal parks, so that's pedal and then number four parks, all one word dot co.uk, you, you'll find everything you need to know about it.
0: Yes, and I can't wait to watch it. I absolutely um can't can't wait and any links you've got Isaac ping them across to us and I'll put them below the the video so people can get hold of your good self or um or find out your um content
1: lovely I will do and to everybody at
0: home massive love to you all as always please look after yourselves please turn off that 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 lying cheating BBC narrative that's putting us all in a in in (laughs) an invisible prison and uh, like and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Friends, thank you for listening to the Bought the T-Shirt podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share. And don't forget to follow me on social media. Username, Chris Thrall. Instagram, Chris.Thrall. Thank you.